Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to AOA here today. Thank you for joining us as always as we talk about what is happening in rural America and issues impacting agriculture. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have another uh, fun show for you here today. Coming up in segment four, we're going to learn about the half century of progress show coming up here in just a few weeks in Illinois. Lee Clancher and Max Armstrong will join the show to discuss things with us in segment three today. We're going to get an idea of the ongoing situation surrounding carbon markets and the carbon pipelines and more. We're going to talk with Joe Heinrich with the Smart Carbon Network to get a uh, kind of a, a bipartisan, non-controversial view of what is going on, especially in Iowa and South Dakota right now. Then in segment two, we're going to talk weather with John Baranek from DTN. We got a bit of a hotter weather forecast on tap, it sounds like, here for the next six to ten days, and maybe beyond that. So we're going to get to that discussion coming up here in just a little bit. Right now, though, we want to take a look at what is happening in the markets here. The last couple of sessions joining us to kick off today's show, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, is with us. And Darren, always great to talk with you. And I, I know your affection for USDA <laughs> reports is probably the best way I can put it. Um, obviously, uh, this past Friday, we had the August WASDE report released. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks looking at those numbers and USDA gave us some numbers that did impact the market a little bit. Uh, what's your take on just how the markets are, are shaking out now as we start off a new week? My personal opinion is, you know, USDA had to shoot its shot uh, in lowering production for both corn and soybeans, hoping to raise the price you know, for insurance, you know, basically going back to the guaranteed price uh, for, the, for insurance purposes, you know, trying to cut some of those potential payments that could be coming on down the road. So, I mean, it, it was fun to watch. Um, Watson, my name for the my term for the algorithm sector in general uh, in markets. Uh, didn't pay any attention. We saw an initial rally. It was on very light volume. And then the minute Watson kicked in, uh, it just drove markets lower. The reality is investment traders, commercial traders, anyone not involved with USDA knows that the crop did not did not lose ground substantially mm -hmm. uh, over the course of July. So, uh, I mean, the reality is we can see that in future spreads. We can see it in basis. Uh, and, and so now as we come into this week, you know, all eyes are on Dees Corn and, and the July low of 481. And what's interesting, again, from an algorithm point of view is uh, what my what my quotes are showing at this point. That's the low of the day, 481. It didn't take it out. So it's like the algos know or traders know that what could be triggered, what could be lurking right below that 481 mark in Dees 23. Be interesting to see what happens as the day unfolds. Very, very true. Well, Darren as well, I know the next couple of weeks ahead, we'll have more boots on the ground type crop tours throughout the Corn Belt. A lot of different private tours happen. Mm -hmm. How much weight do you put into those boots on the ground type tours and their impact that they could potentially have on the market? Well, knowing the folks that have been on it before, I don't put a lot of weight. Uh, but there's there's two different ways of looking at this. You can look, you can 
you can anymore the way it's developed on social media you can follow the actual scouts and you can follow scouts who actually know they're looking at corn and soybeans rather than you know walking through an alfalfa field or something like that so you can pick and choose uh, what they're actually reporting and, and yes it's it's rather limited in scope and it's all rather localized but you can still get a, a general idea of what some folks who actually know what they're looking at are seeing uh, but I don't put any weight whatsoever, none, zero. I don't know how else to put that in the final, um, you know, massaged numbers that that are released by the tour. I, I just, I, I just never have followed those at all. But uh, again, with the with the growth of social media, you can track certain individuals uh, that do know what they're talking about. Well, as we look more at charts as well, and I know you think about the wheat market, that's been pretty tied to corn. Mm -hmm. We had more news out of the Black Sea over the weekend uh, with Russia firing on a civilian mm -hmm. ship. So, I mean, obviously the risks are posed there still as well after we had a, a quiet week or two with really no headline news out of the Black Sea, Darren. Yeah, I thought that was interesting when that uh, when that story came out, and I wanted to see how it would play in the markets. And we didn't see, I mean, there was a small rally in the Chicago market overnight. But by the time we got to Monday morning intermission, uh, Chicago was back under pressure. It all comes down to fundamentals win in the end. And fundamentally, soft red winter wheat market is just incredibly bearish right now. Uh, we saw the September, December future spread close at 100% calculated full commercial carry. That's just an incredible figure. I mean, it's been beyond that, but you know, it, it looks like we're down, we're, we're going to be in a situation where variable storage rates uh, are going to be applied starting in September. We're going to see uh, an official increase in commercial uh, storage uh, rates for soft red winter wheat come September. So, yeah, it just looks inevitable that that's going to happen. Uh, and that tells us right there how, just how bearish the situation is, how, how little demand there is for uh, the U.S. production here in, in 2023. Soy complex still seems to have the tighter fundamentals of the three and the mm -hmm. grains. I know new crop up a little bit to start off the week. Some are pointing to a hotter, drier forecast. And mm -hmm. I look at November beans, you know, able to hold above that $13 psychological mark so far. What's your take in the soy complex, Darren? Yeah, I agree with you. When you know, when we look at the six to ten day, eight to fourteen day weather forecasts that have come out, and I'll be interested to hear what John has to say here in the next segment. But it does look hot and dry. And while this probably won't have much to do with the corn market at this point, uh, in fact, it could actually be viewed as bearish for corn. I, it, it does look like it's providing a bit of support to the soybeans now. What's also interesting about soybeans is we continue to you know, see double-digit moves overnight. Uh, and again, the one Sunday night through Monday morning kind of hinted at the, at the sale that was made. So we are starting to see some, some secondary sales being made to China and unknown destinations. Uh, yes, they're still locking in most of what they need from, uh, from Brazil, but they're using this sell-off. Uh, they're using Friday sell-off. They used it to, to get some locked in from the U.S. for 2023-24. Darren, any thoughts over in the protein sector as we kick off the week? I know uh, mixed to lower in cattle, hogs a little bit lower. I know the August hog contract goes off the board Monday. Mm -hmm. Looks like that's sticking pretty close with the cash index. Uh, any thoughts overall in the protein sector today? The thing that really jumps out to me in, in proteins is the fact that cash cattle, the cash live cattle, continue to be a, a tough read. I mean, you get a little bit of business done, but there's not much happening. Uh, at some point, we're going to probably hit some backed up cattle, and that's going to possibly lower the cash market. So again, still feeling a little top heavy, uh, but it's just interesting how we can't get much cash cattle moved at this point. 
And Darren, real quick as well, stock traders are, seem to be watching China and their economic concerns, uh, You know, hearing some worries about debt tied to property values and more here to kick off the week. Any, any thoughts on the outside markets that you're paying attention, attention to like that? Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you know we've been hearing for months now about uh, about China's economics problem, maybe going on a year, uh, and so it just kind of always hanging out there. What what I find interesting in the in the U.S. stock indexes is you know they've had such a strong first part of 2023 here uh, that you know they're they're in need of taking a little bit of a break. So getting a getting a sell off here, say over the next quarter or so, uh, I don't think is as disastrous as many want to think, but it could certainly happen. Well, with that, we always appreciate the insight. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Thanks for joining us here on AOA this week. All right. Thanks, Jesse. And coming up next, we're going to talk weather with John Baranek from DTN. That's next as we're back with more AOA right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win! 
We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, we saw plenty of good rainfall in many areas of the upper Midwest and Corn Belt here over the weekend. That also came with some severe weather across parts of the upper Midwest and parts of the country. And we're continuing to see that storm system work its way eastward here as we kick off the week. Joining us now to discuss what is happening with the weather. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, is with us. John, it's great to have you back on AOA. I hope you had an uh, awesome weekend. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I actually took a little vacation up in northern Minnesota for a little bit. I was able to escape a lot of the the kind of heavier rain and the the storms that kind of went through the upper Midwest over the weekend. So that was kind of nice. I, I lucked out in that that regard. I was going to say, yeah, always uh, always good to look out when that happens when you're on a vacation. Now, for some folks, though, as I mentioned, they got some decent rains, but it did come with some severe weather over the weekend. Recap just what we saw over the weekend, John. We did. So we kind of saw two impulses move through. The first one um, really on Friday was, was kind of the, the main go of it with that one uh, across the upper Midwest. And we saw some uh, egg to baseball size hail uh, over Ooh. central Minnesota and the adjacent parts of Wisconsin and northern Iowa. So that wasn't you know, very good. We also saw some sporadic kind of wind and hail reports there from Illinois all the way down to Oklahoma. And then we saw a secondary system kind of develop there out in the in the plains on Saturday and then really spark off some uh, significant thunderstorms here uh, for uh, for Sunday. And um, uh, you know, a lot of that, too, was, was kind of along that cold front across the south. So from Oklahoma into the, the Ozarks and then down through the Tennessee Valley, we saw some of those as well. Um, but, you know, we, we've been in a really active pattern. We've had lots of rainfall, lots of 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 activity moving through and you know that unfortunately comes with a lot of severe weather as well during the summertime just can't escape it if you're going to get the rain you're probably going to have to deal with some some form of severe weather at, at some point and we definitely saw that you mentioned that egg to baseball size hail in some of those parts of the upper midwest have we seen or heard of any crop damage reports from some of that hail john I haven't myself. And actually, when I was coming back home, I drove through that and I didn't notice. Um, I drove through some of it, at least. And I didn't really notice any damage there in a couple of the towns that I went through. So hopefully mm -hmm. it wasn't uh, hopefully it wasn't too bad. Maybe just a couple of of, of stones that, that kind of met that criteria instead of anything that was overly widespread. But um, yep, I just I haven't seen anything or seen any uh, heard of anything just yet. But it, it definitely could have happened. I mean, when you get reports of, of a baseball sized hailstone, you know, it's fallen at like 80 miles an hour. And, you know, if it, if it hits a if corn stock or a bean plant, it's just going to totally annihilate it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I just haven't heard any of the reports yet. Well, I haven't either, but we'll definitely keep our eyes and ears open for those reports. And John, as well, this system that worked through the upper Midwest, as we kind of look at it here this week early, it is shifting off to the east, maybe more heavy rain potential, eastern corn belt, the Tennessee Valley, et cetera. What, what are we seeing here with the rest of this system, the remnants of it as it moves eastward? Yeah. So, you know, you talked about the severe weather threat, but it, it really produced some good rainfall amounts there, kind of along the uh, the Dakota border through central Minnesota. Now is going in through Wisconsin here as we're talking here this morning. 
And these, this is the kind of general area that's been missing out a lot on, a, on the heavier precipitation we've seen throughout July. So it's good to see these areas getting a drink. Um, it's going to continue here across Wisconsin into Michigan, the kind of main low uh, with it, more rain than thunderstorms. But farther south, we could see some stronger thunderstorms out of it across the Ohio Valley into the Tennessee Valley here later today. That kind of pushes off to the east coast, and then we're going to start seeing a drier pattern after that. Uh, kind of shaping up. We do get a cold front that moves through kind of Wednesday night and Thursday across the Midwest. Um, and we could see some scattered showers and thunderstorms out of that, mostly from kind of Minnesota to Ohio. Um, but for the most part, it's going to be a drier forecast going forward. And, uh, you know, as, as Darren kind of mentioned, um, you know, the, the longer range forecast is definitely hotter and drier for a lot mm -hmm. of the Corn Belt here. And uh, that might be starting to have an effect uh, as we get to later this week. Now, John, as we look at that hotter, drier forecast, what are the models saying? Is this something that's going to be short-lived here, just in the 6 to 10, 8 to 14 day? Are we looking through the rest of the month? Do we really know? Like, what, what are we looking at as far as this next ridge of heat setting up across the country? Yeah, I mean, this ridge has been kind of settling around all summer long. We just haven't seen it through much of the Corn Belt. We've been kind of active and staying milder, cooler. Um, but, you know, if you look at Texas, really, and, you know, a city like Dallas, basically since July 11th, they've had 100 degree temperatures every single day since July 11th, except for three days in there. So um, that heat has just been boiling down there and uh, is, is going to be expanding north across the plains at first here late this week and then across kind of the eastern Midwest for this weekend. And um, yeah, it, it does look like it's going to be kind of a longer term thing here, um, more than just, you know, a five to 10 day stretch of it. So we definitely get it here uh, next week. And a lot of areas in here are going to be in the 90s. At least this time of year, we start seeing our average temperatures dip a bit. So we're not talking about, you know, super extreme heat, several days in the hundreds all the way up to Minnesota or anything like that. But mm -hmm. we're going to stay well above normal. Um, almost to the Canadian border here uh, for, for at least the next week. Um, we What we will see, though, is, is that ridge kind of fluctuate a bit. So uh, we should get a, a front kind of dropping down into kind of Montana, sorry, Montana, North Dakota area mm -hmm. uh, this weekend and uh, kind of sit along the northern edge of the country. And that'll do two things. One, it's going to waffle kind of back and forth a bit. So we could see these northern areas kind of dip in between some heat and some cooler temperatures, but two, it'll, it'll bring some, at least potential for some showers. And, you know, these are kind of the areas that are a little bit more behind developmentally just because they're farther North. And we had some delayed planting a little bit too farther North. Um, so, you know, that could actually be a, a beneficial thing. Um, yeah. it, as long as we do see some of this rainfall moving through, uh, but it's areas to the South. So kind of Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, um, and, and points Southward. Uh, we'll see most likely that heat continuing, but um, the the rainfall probably not going to be there. So um, that does look, again, like at least through next week um, and probably well into September as well. Uh, the long-range models have had this kind of in their playbook for several weeks now. It's hard to trust them because they weren't very good at it yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but, you know, things started to lock into place a little bit more. And um, uh, it's a little bit easier to trust them now. So now that they have it kind of going in through at least early September, kind of have to believe them on for, uh, for the most part here. So 
Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be completely bad as, as kind of Darren mentioned for corn. It, you know, it might not end up being a, such a bad thing. We're quite, we're quite far along and mm -hmm. we've had so much rainfall uh, across the Southern end of the corn belt uh, through the month of July over the last six weeks, really that, you know, if we get a little bit of heat, it's not a big deal. We've got a lot of soil moisture there to kind of lean on. Um, it was those Northern areas that were getting a little bit more concerning kind of Northeast Iowa through Minnesota, Wisconsin, that had the kind of the biggest concern. Uh, sure. Because they didn't get the rainfall, uh, not to the extent that some other areas did. So yeah. um, now that we're getting a little bit more here today, um, we're got some potential for that front kind of hanging around a bit. Might not be a bad thing. Um, not for for corn, at least for soybeans. Uh, you know, some of those areas down in Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Nebraska are still filling, and they need the rain. Um, uh, they could use some more. And if, if heat comes in, it could see a little bit more stresses. But again, I mean, we've seen a lot of rainfall in these areas. How mm -hmm. much, how long that can kind of hold off the heat? Um, that's, I think it's a good question mark and uh, something um, that we don't really know um, at this point. We are talking with DTN meteorologist John Baranek here today on AOA. John, real quick before we let you go, obviously a lot of this has been tied to the shift over to El Nino, and I, I've been hearing some chatter that we're getting a little bit more of that shift, some of the changes in the trade winds out in the Pacific and more. What are we seeing right now? Are we kind of shifting the car out of neutral, so to speak, as far as moving into an El Nino pattern? I think so. So we did um, see it kind of quickly jump from neutral conditions into kind of a weak El Nino state, um, like kind of late spring, but it's kind of been holding steady since then. Uh, now we're starting to see the uh, potential here for that to really start taking off in the next few weeks. So we kind of thought it might start happening this month, but uh, might kind of be pushing more towards September. Um, historically, that's meant kind of a, a cooler weather pattern across the upper Midwest, uh, the north central states here, most of the Corn Belt really. Um, and uh, kind of starting to get that that southern jet stream a little bit more active across the southern states, which have really built in a lot of drought. So um, overall, it's it's not a it's not a bad weather pattern, and for those southern areas, it's pretty good. Um, but we'll, uh, as far as harvest season goes, um, in any late developing crops, we might see a little bit of of impact there if we get an early frost or or potentially an early snowstorm. Uh, I hate to throw that out there at this point mm -hmm. in the season, but you know, it'll be <laughs> something we'll be watching. It definitely will be. Well, we always appreciate the time and uh, looking at what is happening with our weather across the country. John Baranek with DTN. Thanks for joining us, John. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the ongoing debate over carbon pipelines. Joe Heinrich with Smart Carbon Network will join us next. We'll be back with more AOA right after this. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, 
They require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. The grain markets are mixed, but mostly lower after USDA confirmed a smaller than expected corn and soybean crops on Friday, which quickly triggered buy orders by the headline reading Algo Computers. However, the human trading element quickly emerged to sell that rally, focusing more on USDA's cut of the demand projections going forward. Soybean prices stabilized with the market continuing recent consolidation while we wait to see if more production cuts down the road further tighten that balance sheet. We'll likely see more cuts to new crop soybean exports, but USDA is expected to eventually bump domestic demand higher. The mere possibility that we could see ending stocks dip below 200 million bushels down the road keeps traders from building short speculative positions for the time being. Now, that's not the case for corn and wheat, though, where very weak export demand continues to be an anchor to those markets that puts them lower. The Midwest Pro Farmer Crop Tour next week should provide the industry with its first broad-based look at this year's crops to help sort out how widespread some of the problems heard in anecdotal reports actually are. Over the weekend, Russia fired warning shots at a cargo ship approaching Ukrainian waters, raising concerns that civilian ships moving grain through the Black Sea could face increased risk going forward. Russia said that the ship ignored its request to come on board for inspection, and it had previously warned that it would treat any ships approaching Ukrainian ports as potential military vessels. Now, it's worth repeating that Ukraine responded to that initial statement by saying that it too would consider any ships moving toward Russian ports as potentially military targets. That's raising concerns that Ukraine might respond to this latest provocation by striking at Russia's ability to export commodities. However, overnight trade in the crude oil and in the grain markets is suggesting that global traders are not too worried about what's happening at this point. The VIX is trading near 16 this morning, while crude oil prices are modestly lower to start this week. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. 
Well, now here on AOA, as we take a look at a very divisive issue across much of the Corn Belt right now, and we want to learn just more about where things stand and what is going on, who are the players throughout this whole issue. And uh, I'm very curious to learn more about this myself as I've kind of been watching the news headlines and more here over the last year or so. I'm talking about carbon pipelines. We've been hearing a lot of chatter about opposition to them throughout South Dakota and Iowa and just a lot surrounding this issue. So we're going to learn more about it today. Joining us now, he's the executive director for the Smart Carbon Network Joe Heinrich is with us. Joe, it's great to have you on AOA with us here today. How are you? Oh, just great. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. And Eastern Iowa is getting a nice little rain this morning, so we are always glad to see that. Well, that is a very good thing. I know you guys definitely could have used a, a shower, uh, some good showers there here to help out that crop as we near the back half of our growing season. So great to hear that, and thank you for the time today. So as I mentioned, uh, this is a very divisive issue when it comes to carbon pipelines. There's folks on both sides of it. Just give us a, a quick backdrop of what is going on. What is the issue here when it comes to carbon pipelines? I know a lot of it tied to eminent domain and other things. So can you give us just an overview of where things stand right now, Joe? Yeah, I sure would be glad to. Yeah, that it it's definitely an emotional issue. I think we all realize that. And and the reason we uh, I got I became a part of Smart Carbon Coalition. It's a it's an organization. It's a coalition that's trying to just get the facts out there. And, and and we're talking about the carbon capture program. And when you asked about the different issues going on, yeah, eminent domain is one. Uh, the other ones that seem to be popping up a lot is the safety of it. There's a lot of questions as far as is it safe, uh, is it the best way to transport that uh, CO2, and um, also land reclamation has been really starting to pop up. We've had a lot of questions about land reclamation. Uh, will that ground be as good as it was before? You know, we've heard in the past where there's been some pipelines that went through and the ground uh, was not returned the way it was left, and so uh, that's gotten to be a bigger issue especially that one is in iowa and illinois more but definitely an issue there and eminent domains always being talked about that's for sure well joe as i i learned more about this issue i know that uh, the iowa utilities board is set to hold a meeting here on august 22nd about the carbon pipeline project um north dakota regulators last week rejected that and i know there's going to be some issue there so i, I mean as we look here at some of the different things going on from a legislative standpoint and more, and there's there's a lot tied to this issue going on right now, Joe. Yeah, there really is. Uh, the North Dakota one, uh, yeah, they that um, summit was the one up there that will have to reapply, uh, and I'm sure they will. And it's just a matter of they had some questions as far as how they um, – we're going to approach some things, and and so they have to step back. I think make let's make sure we get through this and get it right. So I, I think that is all part of the process. Uh, South Dakota just had PUC meetings up there. I think that that was with Navigator. Um, they're going to do a ruling here. I think in the next two weeks, if I remember right. And then Iowa, like you said, August 22nd. And the big thing is let's let's air the issues. Uh, let's work through it and. 
make sure that everybody's talking with each other. Let's have that Midwest discussion that we're so good at, you know, respectfully listen to each other and let's work through these hearings. Let's work through the process of getting this done because it is just vital to the Midwest that we have a carbon capture in place. Well, you mentioned the safety aspect of it, Joe. Can you can you talk to that as well? I mean, what are some of the concerns and or, you know, what can you say about the safety of a carbon pipeline? Is there something that, that we need to be worried about or not? Well, the, there's about 5,500 miles of pipeline of um, carbon pipelines already in the, in the country. That's been in it, this whole carbon capture is not something new. It's been it's been going on since uh, 1970s actually, and so about 50 years. And in those 50 years, there's been two incidences uh, with the carbon pipeline, the transportation part of it. One is the one we hear all about is that Mississippi incident. Uh, I think it was in 2020, and that's the one we really hear a lot about. But in that instance, um, there was no death again, and there were injuries and we don't like seeing that. Definitely. Nobody wants to see that, but being it was carbon dioxide, what the issues were, were dizziness and headaches and, uh, that carbon dioxide disperses very quickly. And so I think when we look at the track record of these transportation, this, these pipelines for carbon dioxide, these CO2 pipelines, uh, they have quite a safety record already with them. And by far, it's it's the most efficient and safe way to transport the carbon uh, dioxide. Because when you think about it, otherwise it has to go on a rail or down the road in trucks. and. Uh, I know personally, I just assume see it under, you know, underground where it's safer and not coming at me when I'm going on the road at 60 miles an hour. Well, we're talking with Joe Heinrich, the executive director for Smart Carbon Network. And Joe, I should have prefaced this as well at the beginning. I do apologize, but I know that uh, SCN, you guys are a nonprofit and, and you're really just kind of, you're in the middle. You're You're like a Switzerland, you're neutral. In, in a lot of this discussion here, Joe, as, as folks continue to learn more about carbon capture, et cetera, aren't you? That was really the goal. When we set it up, we wanted to be that third party. I say we pick on everybody equally. And, uh, and I think that's important. And we have in, in our background, you know, who we have involved is that we have we have business, we have labor involved with it, we have have academia, we also have agriculture involved with it. And what we're trying to do is come up with that all around answers to these questions. We wanna be that go-to source that people trust for answers when they have them. And by all means, go to our website if you have questions or wanna visit about it, we're more than happy to. But what we're trying to do is get everybody to have that discussion because when we look at the end of the day, uh, the carbon capture system is so vital to the Midwest, uh, not just what it's doing today, what what it will you know, be able to do, you think of the ethanol, but down the road, ten, five, 10 years, when we think of, when we find new products to come from carbon dioxide, uh, there's, there's huge opportunity here for the Midwest, and we want to make sure that uh, we're able to take advantage of that. Well, I know that website, smartcarbonnetwork.com. And Joe, you know, you mentioned some of that opportunity. You guys have some stats on your website about just the economic benefits of carbon capture as a whole, jobs, uh, investment as far as dollars and more. And I know that's something that you guys uh, look at quite a bit as well. Yeah, that's one of the big reasons I got involved was because as I saw this over the last 
couple of years, I heard more about it, obviously, with being vice president of Iowa Farm Bureau before, um, you know, this was an issue we learned a lot about. Uh, never took a position on it, but definitely learned more. And as I saw this, it's like it's a huge opportunity uh, for the Midwest because of the development, uh, not just what we're going to be able to keep by having uh, low carbon ethanol be able to use, you know, sell into those markets. It's going to be uh, for generation of electricity when they have to meet those guidelines. It's going to be the the innovation that comes. There's already industries looking at how to use that carbon in their industries because it's a cheap product. And when you have that, you have entrepreneurs always figuring out how to make money on it. And that's the phase we're in right now. And if we're going to do development, if we're going to do build industry with it, let's do it in the Midwest. Let's build it in those rural communities. And I, I think that's really important. And like I said, we're trying to be that. We just want to be fact-based. We want to make sure we're getting information out. If people have questions, address those big concerns because everybody needs to work through this. It's, uh, you know, the pipeline companies, they need to do a, a good job of working with the people they're dealing with. The landowners, I, I challenge them to listen to the whole story. And everybody else, I challenge you all to just learn more about it, understand it better so we can have that conversation. Well, as well, Joe, I know that um, it feels like the Wild West in a way when it comes to carbon markets as a whole. You know, it's felt like that for a while. Do you feel like there needs to be more regulation as far as uh, carbon markets? Well, I think probably what you're talking a little bit more about is on the when we're as agriculture capturing those credits, putting it in the ground, and then we have those credits to sell. Um, and that's part of the whole ca carbon capture, but it's kind of a different part of it. On the on the CO2 carbon capture programs that are going to affect ethanol, electricity, you know, industry. Um, there's there's a lot of regulation already on that side. On that credit side. Um, yeah, I think everybody's got to learn more about it. I mean, as a farmer over here in eastern Iowa, we're trying to figure out where we fit with that and how to approach it because, you know, we everybody's got a lot of credits, actually, because of the job we as agriculture doing in uh, capturing that carbon. So that's going to mm -hmm. be, on, on that side, it's going to be really important we work through that. Joe, before we let you go, any final thoughts you have for us here real quick just uh, about the whole carbon capture process that we're continuing to watch? Well, I'll, I'd just like to say that I, th I think everybody try to keep up on information, uh, listen to all sides. If you have questions, don't be afraid to reach out to us. And by all means, let's uh, go through this uh, civilly, as I've been saying. You know, there's so much emotion. I get it because, you know, I'm a landowner over here, too. We have a pipeline going through one of our rented farms, uh, two sets of high lines uh, going through. So I get the the whole landowner rights. But let's let's make sure that we're listening to each other and, uh, and uh, let's get through this. I, I think it's something beneficial for the Midwest smartcarbonnetwork.com you can learn more and with that joe heinrich executive director for smart carbon network appreciate the time here on aoa today we'll have to get you back on again soon thanks so much you bet have a great day everybody all right coming up next we're going to talk about the half century of progress show coming up in illinois with lee clancher max armstrong that's next here on aoa As an organ donor, 
Your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Put a frog in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out. 
but put a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As a metaphor for us and all that we go through as veterans, it's a story that rings true. We learn to endure the heat in silence. We apply what we learn to life, the bills, the job, the family, things we're expected to handle with ease. When life heats up around us, we just try to stay afloat. We let the water boil. Reaching out isn't easy, but you've never been interested in easy. You join because you are not afraid of hard work. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait until the water boils. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Very excited about our next segment here as we are going to learn more about the Half Century of Progress show and also some of their role with the Farm Progress show, which both shows are coming up here in the next couple of weeks in Illinois. And joining us now to talk about what is going on, Lee Clauncher is with us. Lee, great to have you on AOA with us today. How are you? Great, great, great to be here with you, Jesse. And I know as well, uh, we are hoping maybe we'll still have Max Armstrong with us. I know we we're having some technical uh, difficulties to get with Max here. So uh, we'll be seeing if we get Max in here with us or not. But I know you and I could have a great discussion uh, about this as well. And just for starters, Lee, the Half Century of Progress show, let's set it up with that. August 24th through the 27th coming up here in Illinois. Uh, just give us a little background on the show and, and what it's all about, Lee. Absolutely, Jesse. Uh, that show is uh, the largest working tractor show, uh, I believe, in the world, for sure, in the country. They uh, hold it at the abandoned Shibut uh, Air Force Base. And, mm -hmm. and the guys there, the local club, just does a fantastic job. They plant crops in spacings that so old machinery can work it. And they have machines working those fields nonstop for three days. Um, you just get to see some stuff you just haven't seen in years. You'll see things. They'll have everything from guys planning with the old trip wires and the, and the plows and horses. Steam tractors will be working, which is just fantastic to see, especially the big ones. And then they'll have more modern equipment, meaning from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even the 80s. And you'll see things like uh, the earthquake, which is that 800 horsepower kind of hand-built tractor working stuff you just don't see anywhere else. There's also a tractor pull. There's lots of uh, attractions. There's lots of vintage tractors. They'll be featuring the farm all this year. Um, and they can come and see me and my new book, too. So there's a lot there. Well, Lee, you mentioned your new book. Talk about that a little bit, because I know that's something you're going to have not only at the Half Century Show, but also at the Farm Progress Show. Just touch on that a little bit, Lee. Absolutely. This year, of course, is uh, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of the Farm yeah. Mall. So we've got a book uh, that covers the early history of the Farm Mall up from the very early days of IH up to the mid-1950s. Um, it's a great history. It's a series. We do these series of books called Red Tractors. This is the fourth in the series. Um, and these books go really deep into the history. There's a lot of personality and color in the books. And you learn why these machines are built and how. There's a picture of every model in that time frame in there. Um, 
we cover the high horsepower stuff run by M and W just all kinds of things that, that uh, people who love that Farmall brand give them a lot of a great read and, and some beautiful images to look at. Well, and I just think about, you know, you look over the years and, and where we are today, just the, the amazing, you know, to, for lack of a better term, the progress that we've made in agriculture. It, it, it's honestly quite stunning to see just where we were so many years ago to now, Lee. It's it's amazing to see that. It's it's amazing. The the I, I love to say that the internet exists because of the tractor. And the reason for that, of course, is if you go back, you know, in the early days, there not that long ago, a couple hundred years ago, most of us were spending our days gathering food. And of course, now, you know, starting in the 90s, the number of farmers who make all the food the world can eat are not statistically counted anymore. So that that change is just tremendous. Um, I also love seeing, especially those farmers from the 40s and 50s, the, the letter series tractors, how incredibly useful that machine still is. It's not as efficient, mm -hmm. obviously, as a new one, but there's plenty of them that are working that work just fine. I mean, what do we have in our life that's, you know, 70 years old and still works great? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know you mentioned with the Farm Progress show coming up, uh, the Case IH stage, you guys are going to have a role there as well. Can you talk about that just a, a little bit more for us and, and what folks can expect there? Absolutely. Um, Max and I will be together in the Case IH stage at Farm Progress each day at 10 a.m. And we're going to we're going to go through uh, a farm all history kind of model by model. And they've got this great uh, big screen. We're going to project pictures and video behind us. And, and we did this at uh, the Red Power Roundup uh, in June of this year and really had a good time. Max and I, uh, I know a lot of history. Max, of course, knows everything. We, we have a good time and give you a really lively, interesting look at how the farm all tractor came to be. Uh, we always try to put some things in there that maybe you didn't know before and dig out. We also, this time, we're going to have a trivia contest. So if you think you know your farm wall history, come on down mm -hmm. and we'll see how we'll try test you out. And uh, we'll have some great giveaways each day. So that's at 10 a.m. Uh, really hope people can come and see it. We, 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 uh, we put on a good show. And I, I don't have the number of the, the case lot at Farm Progress show in front of me, but uh, pretty easy to find. You'll see all the red, and you'll know that you are there, right, Lee? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They aren't hard to find. They'll, they'll also have some, um, uh, they'll have some vintage tractors there. And I actually, my team and I will be uh, inside uh, selling our books, and, and we'll have specials, and I'll be available to chat. So if people can't make the presentation, stop in and say hi. Fantastic. Uh, might even let you answer a trivia question or two if you come to the booth. Yeah, yeah. Never, nothing wrong with that. Nothing, I'll have to uh, brush up on my trivia ahead of time here, Lee. Uh, so, okay, for real quick for folks, obviously talking about the Farm Progress Show, end of the month in Decatur, Illinois. You guys will have a great role there. The Half Century of Progress Show, we should mention that as well. I know folks can learn more online, halfcenturyofprogress.com. Great place to go, isn't it, Lee? Fantastic place and a fantastic show. Just uh, two very different experiences. Both of them kind of key if, if tractors are your world. Fantastic. Halfcenturyofprogress.com to learn more about the Half Century Progress show. And then, of course, the Farm Progress show happening coming up here at the end of the month in Decatur, Illinois. We're looking forward to 
that as well. And we really uh, appreciated the time. I know we had some technical issues trying to connect with Max, and uh, unfortunately, but Lee, uh, really appreciate you joining us here today on AOA and giving us the rundown. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Lee Klons, you're joining us here as we talk about the Half Century Progress Show and the Farm Progress Show and all the great things going on with Case IH and uh, looking at historic tractors. We appreciate it. All right, coming up here on the next episode of AOA, we'll be broadcasting live from day number one of Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. You've been listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.